you're never really going to be alive until you start thinking about the big questions. Hi, everyone. You're listening to Good is in the Details. I'm your host, Gwendolyn Dolsky, and this is part three of Podcast in the Time of Coronavirus. I hope you're all doing well. I hope everyone is safe. I hope everyone is healthy. I hope you're staying inside and doing your part for humanity, which is staying inside and Netflix binging. I asked, what are you missing? And overwhelmingly, the answers were people. So I thought maybe for this episode, we'd see what philosophers have to say about solitude. One of my favorite thinkers is Albert Camus, and one of my favorite novellas by him is The Fall. And in there, you have the narrator, Jean-Baptiste Clemence, who talks about the human being as double. There is the mask that we wear for the world. It's a theater. It's a stage. And then there is who we are when no one is watching. And how do you behave in those two settings? And that is what makes the human being the human being. What's interesting is that right now, our theater has been taken from us. So we are in solitude, and we are learning what we are made of. Now, I thought I would get in touch with my good friend, Dr. Daniel Lane at Gonzaga University. She is a scholar on Plato and the Neoplatonists. And I wanted to know, what do the ancient Greeks have to tell us about solitude? If you haven't heard it yet, you should listen to episode six, where she talks about ancient Greek philosophy as therapy. For this one, we'll be updating it to see what would the ancient Greeks tell us about quarantine. So I hope you enjoy it. Remember, wash your hands and... Now you can enjoy the interview. Hey, hey, Gwenny. Hi, Danny. How are you doing? I'm doing well. So since we talked last time about psychology and what the ancient Greeks could offer, I thought maybe we should do one on quarantine because... I think as philosophers, well, I know I'm doing okay, but maybe that's also because I'm on maternity leave, but a lot of philosophers like their alone time, but this is can be really hard on people who are really extroverted or very social, and so I'm wondering in this time of social distancing, what could the ancient Greeks, what could we learn from the ancient Greeks? Yeah, uh, first I'd like to say thanks, Gwenny, for giving me this opportunity to talk about being quarantined, to talk about coronavirus, to talk about what a lot of us are probably going through right now, which is what are we doing hold up in our houses with our kids, our lovers, our husbands, our wives, our spouses, and how are we going to manage this for an indefinite period of time? And and I know that it sounds strange to think that ancient philosophers can help us work through some of the anxieties that we may be feeling. Maybe maybe not just some of the anxieties, but maybe even some of our downright fears uh, that are keeping us up at night. And I have a lot of different things that I could say uh, about this. I'm not actually sure where to begin because there's just so much I could say. Uh, so. I guess we could start with what are some of the things that ancient philosophy teaches about overcoming fear? So first off, maybe let's be articulate. Are we, what are we afraid of right now? Are we afraid of the coronavirus? Are we afraid of, of death that might result from coronavirus? And one of the things that the Stoics or the Epicureans would teach us about um, this problem, even Socrates, Socrates was very famous for asking the question, what is X, right? Uh, mm-hmm. what, what, what can we know about the thing that we're afraid of or that we want to pursue or, or not to pursue? And, and Socrates says, what we have to do is 
usually analyze that mystery, what we're confused about. And, and the Stoics and the Epicureans will pick up on this, too, that one of the things that they think is absolutely essential for calming us down is to have a knowledge of it and a scientific knowledge of it. So, yes, the both the Epicureans and Stoic would say one of the, the healthiest things that you can do, one of the greatest uh, mental exercises is to get a good grasp on the, the knowledge that you can have about it and the scientific knowledge. So find reputable sources to understand what the coronavirus is and, and how it works. And, and for the Stoics, particularly, they would say, look, getting this knowledge is going to help you figure out what's in your control. For the stoicism, that's the key to everything, that that most of us worry about things that are not in our control. And for the stoics, having knowledge of what coronavirus is, is part and parcel of realizing what I can control. Well, I can I control whether or not the coronavirus uh, spreads indefinitely from state to state to state? No, not really. But can I control how much it spreads here? Here in my town of Spokane, well, yes, I can self-quarantine. I can wash my hands. I can uh, wear homemade masks. I can do a lot of various different things that are actually in my control. Uh, but should I spend my time worrying all like about every little thing? With regards to this disease, no. Why not? Because it's not in my control. That's a, oh, I was right, just going to say, no, that's a really good point. I think something is that people should have knowledge of what's going on, that that may have actually been one of the problems in the first place, is that we tried to sugarcoat it or act like it wasn't that big of a deal. And that actually drove us in the exact opposite direction of what we needed to do. And yeah. then also maybe like you're saying, what's what's not in your control is that we're getting paralyzed by watching too much news. Exactly. But and so you want to know, have that balance of know what's happening, but also be aware of what's in your control and stop being passive. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, to, to be active and to recognize that you have a duty, is that what the Stoics would say, to, to have a knowledge about what's going on, uh, but not to to the extent in which you're paralyzed and, and you're afraid. Uh, that is to be, that's irrational, that's um, that's to be too invested in, in things that are outside of your purview. Another thing that the Stoics and the Epicureans and the Platonists uh, would teach us is, look, we're at home with our families and our loved ones. And many of us, um, particularly Stoic, would say, look, why are you afraid of death? Because aren't you kind of already living a life that's already dead? I.e., most of us spend our time doing things that really don't matter, right? We, we go to jobs we hate. We have conversations, we gossip about things that are trivial uh, and ridiculous. And one of the things that the Stoics and the Platonists and the Epicureans would say, look, Right now, you're at home, and you have a unique opportunity to really think about all the things that actually matter, right? That instead of having ridiculously stupid conversations with your partner about, you know, just the mundane things of your day, why don't we take the time to really start thinking about what it means to be human, and what is this thing called love, and and what is my duty towards other people that that the all the the, the ancient philosophers say, look, you're you're never really going to be alive until you start thinking about the big questions of being a living thing, and so 
the Platonists would say, look, this is an opportunity to talk to your kids in, in ways that allow them to really think about who they want to be in the future and, and, and to practice a way of life that isn't just going with the flow. The cynics were really good about disrupting, like doing activities that would disrupt us and make us think about, oh, wait, why, why are we living such a fake, pretentious life? Why don't we remember what's really valuable? What really is valuable are, are the, the, the people that care for us and, uh, and the things that sustain us and, and that we don't actually need all that much to be happy in this present moment. Uh, the Stoics, too, would say, look, in this moment, we recognize our, our duty to the person sitting next to us, but also even the, our duty in the grand scheme of things, that, that this small little action that I am taking in self-isolation, it's not meaningless, no, but it's, it's part of the bigger picture, the bigger tapestry of life. Well, even the Epicurean would say, look, this moment that you get to stay home, you know, we, we spend a lot of our time, so the Epicureans love pleasure, but not pleasure in the sense of just drinking or eating food, because those are the kinds of pleasures that are ultimately dissatisfying, uh, that would ultimately lead us into a life of just constant eating and drinking and constant pursuit of pleasures that can never be satisfied. But the Epicure was a this moment is an opportunity to see that the truest pleasure is the pleasure of friendship, of, of connection uh, with others who can allow us to really understand uh, the value of reason and thinking rationally about this particular time that we're in. And so all of these philosophers really want us to recognize the connectedness that we get when we, we live a rational uh, life or the kind of life that is constantly attempting to, to be connected to other people. Yeah, I think that in just because of the global scope of this, that it being a pandemic, that that notion of us being connected is absolutely radicalized right now. And right. also, I mean, something that I keep thinking about, and maybe this is from the existentialist background, but I just keep thinking about these two, these two poles of what's going on is that on the one hand, I see on Twitter or I see on Instagram these hilarious quarantine videos that are making me laugh, that are so creative, and they're just so wildly entertaining. And then by the same token, getting news updates about the devastation of what the doctors are going through, the fear that the nurses have. And it's like I'm trying to hold these two things, and it just seems to reveal this very we're all feeling very human right now i think because it is yeah. a virus i mean so just as as we're recording today i just saw in the news that the queen of england that she has tested positive yeah. uh, so it's one Mark of those Thompson. yes yeah and it it is just one of those things where i'm where i'm thinking we just feel terribly human because all of these other things that you know, like born into a particular status or wealth or all that stuff, all of it at the end of the day, is it nearly as meaningful as the relationships that you have? Um, you know, the way in which you tie, you spend your time, the experience of life. Yeah. I mean, and that, I think that's absolutely the heart of it is that one of the beautiful silver linings is this kind of wake-up call to what it means to be human. That, that The cynics would say this, like most of us spend our life doing just a lot of ridiculous, silly things. And coronavirus has really reminded us that there are very 
very simple things that allow us to be happy. And one of the most important is relationships. And it, and, and it doesn't mean relationships where I have to, I have to physically touch, you know, you right now or, or anybody, but, but rather the kind of relationships that are, that come when we start asking or doing what you just said, recognizing how like that human beings aren't merely uh, impenetrable, autonomous, rational beings, but no, I'm, I'm scared and I'm also courageous, right? That I'm uh, the kind of person who recognizes that I would rather be alone during this time, but I'm also very needy for other people so that, that we are, we're, this is what a Platonist would say, that we exist as contradiction, that at the end of the day, we, are, we have to love the, the fact that we are both and, that I am, I'm both the kind of being that wants to know everything I can about the coronavirus, but I'm also the same person who is watching silly cat videos. Uh, I'm, I'm the, the person who is most myself when I recognize that I'm confused and vulnerable and not pretending to be uh, something I'm not. And, and that's what I really love about this time is I think it's really I mean, we, we see it in you know viral videos of politicians we see it uh, you know say with Trevor Noah on the Daily Show that all of these public figures are really starting to show a much more tender less stage caricature and I, I hope that that becomes a, a more realistic picture about what it means to be human going forward I hope that that from like if there is a time after coronavirus, um, that that what it will be is is a world in which we don't spend so much time being fakes. Yeah. Well, I think that you know the phenomenon of boredom is interesting. <laughs> you know, <laughs> because um, it's because we are, as, as you said, just disrupted. Um, that. That the that we're, we run on autopilot often, um, you know, just get up and go and forget about any significance or anything, anything like that. Just forget about purpose, I guess, or the the meaning of life or what is meaningful because we're on autopilot, and this has forced us to not be on autopilot, and not being on autopilot first stirs up some boredom, but then some other things might be unearthed, like you know, understanding more quality family time. I know a lot of people are making more phone calls now than they are texting. So I have yeah. actually had a phone conversation with different friends every single day. Right, right. Hearing Normally voice, it's just me and the uh, cat. I, 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 didn't, I didn't think I would like Zoom, but I get excited to see people on Zoom now because we, we don't really realize that, I mean, this is what the Stokes would say, we're all connected. And what it means to be human is to recognize that connection and to recognize that that connection has doesn't have anything to do really with physical connection, as the, the Platonists would say, but rather with that, that just that voice, that hearing people reach out and actually want to be in relationship and to acknowledge the value of, of that mere reaching out. Um, so what know, are you using Zoom for? Uh, I, know well, you're on sabbatical. I, I would I would have been doing it for online teaching, uh, but I actually decided not to do Zoom for online teaching, but to do podcasts for my students. But I'm I was I'm doing research for Platonism, and on Twitter there was a bunch of Platonists uh, that I would really be interested in knowing a bit better, uh, seeing how they respond to to certain themes in my research, rather than just staying in my own little bubble as far as my research is concerned. And so yeah, I had a, a book club uh, um, Zoom meeting. Uh, oh, uh, okay. Proclus's 
his commentary on the Plato's Republic. Well, since I have you on the phone, I'm going to pick your brain about something. So Rudy, who I do a lot of co-hosting with for the show, he decided to pick up Marcus Aurelius and I said, okay, I'll do it too. So we picked up the meditations. Do you, do you have any advice for us in terms of an underscoring theme or something that we should be paying attention to as we're reading it? Because in the previous podcast episode that you did with me, you mentioned uh-huh. him. So I'm wondering for anyone else out there who wants to pick up in this time and read meditations with us, what should we be paying attention to in that work? Oh, there's so much. Um, so yeah, I, I would say, look, when you read Marcus Aurelius, the meditations, you should actually have your own journal because remember that Marcus Aurelius, he's not writing as if he's a perfect sage. The reason why he's writing this text, the meditations is because he knows he's not perfect. Right. And, and he's trying to be a better stoic. And so each one of the little snippets that you're getting in each one of the chapters is an attempt to remind himself of what he needs to do. He's practicing, he's trying to, he's disciplining himself to become a better and better stoic. And so don't read it with the perspective that he's some sage who already has it all right, but read it from the perspective of this is a an emperor who's seeing himself as vulnerable is not always getting it right but this, this these meditations are his his journal activity to kind of work through what he needs to be doing each day each evening all of the time my favorite one right and so I, I invite you guys to read the first one the, the, often my students will think that the very first meditation is quite boring uh, because all he's doing is thanking people in his life and for thanking them for various different things um, that they've done but if you read it closely you'll also notice that he's thanking people that he doesn't really like that they've been the, they were bad people to him so he thanks one of his grammar teachers for teaching him the art of not being nitpicky which if you're a close oh, reader I you see. realize oh that grammar teacher was very nitpicky so marcus aurelius is is thanking people for teaching him virtues even when they weren't virtuous right okay and so yeah, I would say, look, what you need to do is have a journal out uh, with each and every single one of the meditations and ask yourself what meditation or what spiritual practice or what, to use you know more secular language, what therapy is Marcus Aurelius practicing on himself so as to get a better understanding of what is in his power and what is not in his power? See, I think that this is a perfect read for this time. <laughs> I do too, actually. But you know, I want to. I want to be careful. I want to put a little warning out because uh, it, it, right now in in social media, stoicism has been appropriated by um, a lot of fascist and masculinist or sexist groups. Uh, so keep that in mind, right? So that uh, I don't think that stoicism is inherently sexist or inherently fascist, uh, but a lot of people in what's called like the manosphere or the red pill world have, in fact are using stoicism in order to kind of promote a sexist ideology. And so try to read it and both know that that's out there in the Twitterverse, but at the same time, it's not necessarily inherent to what stoicism is about, though it does have sexist um, uh, connotations to it. So being womanish is often something uh, that the Stoics frown upon. Hey, there's still some people today who would frown on that. (laughs) 
Someone tweeted out, it was so funny, is the whole history of philosophy mansplaining. (laughs) (laughs) That would be fun. (laughs) I thought that was a perfect tweet. It's like, yes, yes, it is. No, but I mean, I, well, I mean, you, you know this, I know this. I mean, as philosophy students, we're always, I think as a woman, you're just aware when you're reading these texts that women are left out or being feminine is considered to be a negative thing. But that's right. That's right. But I think that if you can, I don't know. I, I it, it it wasn't enough to paralyze me or to stop me because I was able to see how these were just important uh, human traits or oh, human we practices. We have a whole other podcast on this, Gwenny. Okay. Okay. Oh, have you read Down Girl by Kate Mann by any chance? No, I have not. Okay. Okay. All right. Okay, a whole other podcast. That sounds good. More, more topics. I think that'll be fun talking about how, because there's a whole lot of problems about whether, how to think about the sexism of antiquity. And it, it takes me, uh, you know, many weeks in my feminist philosophy courses to, to really get through how it is that we can even engage antiquity with regards to sexism. Because some people want to say, look, it's all, at the end of the day, these, these philosophies are, can be universalized and, and we can drop the sexism. But then other feminists would say, well, that's a way of, in fact, making, the universal just a man and so that yeah. women have to become men in order to really read into and take value of say something like stoicism so the criticism against stoicism is that it downgrades the emotions uh, in favor of reason and reason has been constantly associated with men and emotions right. have been uh, identified with being feminine and so that if I want to be a good stoic then I need to excise the feminine from what it means to be human and that's why stoicism can be a bit problematic I see yeah no, I mean, I definitely don't, don't run want, into we want, that. We want everybody during coronavirus to see some of the good of, of, of stoicism. So don't <laughs> right. forget that the, just because the Stoics might have a problematic philosophy um, in certain ways doesn't mean that they aren't helpful during this time of coronavirus. Oh, yeah. No, I run into that with, with Aristotle when I teach it. I mean, Absolutely. You, can't, you can't help but notice. <laughs> um, well, yes, I mean, I, I'm glad that you offered your time for this because I am hoping or I'm trying to see some possibilities in this time of quarantine that people can, that there's an opportunity to be reflective. And it just seems like philosophy, you know, has, has been begging for humanity to be reflective forever, (laughs) that there's that possibility. But, you know, I was also thinking, you know, people losing their jobs and just being terrified and just trying to figure out, okay, how do we get through this really with, um, with this economic downturn and with this health scare, we're all, we're all in it. How can we help each other out? How can we stay calm? And then how can we grow? I guess that's one of the biggest things is that how can we grow? Or transform. Right. That might be what's needed of us now. Right. Okay. Any other words of wisdom? Yeah, you know, read your Stoicism, your Epicureanism, Platonism. They're all online for free. Uh, so <laughs> yes, they're, they're all online for free. You don't need Amazon them. So, uh, yeah, just take the time to, to sit down uh, with these amazing texts. Okay. Thank you, Danny. All right. Bye, Gwenny. Bye. Thank you for listening. If you have any questions, you can email me at goodisinthedetailspod at gmail.com. You can tweet me at gdalski. You can DM me on Instagram. I mean, there are just so many ways. Anyway, stay safe. Wash your hands. Stop hoarding the toilet paper. And if you want to become a patron for as little as two bucks... 
to support the show, you can go to patreon.com slash good is in the details. Bye. Have you already started recording? Yes. if I sound cheesy or anything it's because I'm recording from the moment we pick up the phone oh I didn't see that one yet I was talking to the kids I am so sorry are you wondering like why is she talking to me like this (laughs) all right I'm sorry can we start over (laughs) yes okay